Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Lesson eight out of I'm not sure how many, but we will be finishing chapter one today. Uh, where we will be discussing 22 through 25. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll get there in just a moment. But I want to talk to you first about what we talked about last week. And it was very simple, or it's not a simple message, it's just a very pointed message last week, that we were beautifully redeemed, that as believers we are beautifully redeemed, that God moved us from a life that was ineffective, unfruitful, useless, horrible in every way, bound by sin, addiction, all of these things, and bought us back from that. He did so by, of course, the shedding of his own blood. There's a Puritan whose name, Puritan writer, preacher, whose name was Thomas Wells. And he said this, Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. So he, he said, and I agree, that greater was your work of redemption than the work of actual creation. Because creation cost God nothing but his breath. Where your redemption cost God his own blood. And if you'll take the weight of that and really understand what you've been saved from, I think all of our lives would be just a little bit different. That the miracle that is your salvation is not only equivalent to, but greater than creation itself, is astounding to me. Because Jesus took our righteousness, or created righteousness, where there was no righteousness, by the shedding of his own blood. And we should be grateful and gracious for that. Amen? And so, with all of that in mind, recognize that our our salvation costs us nothing. Did you hear me? Our salvation came at a very low price to us, but a very, very big price to God. Why did he pay it? He paid it not so that we could abuse it, not so that we could abuse grace, not so that we can walk around in our sinfulness or unrighteousness, But he gave it to us, our salvation, because he wanted to demonstrate his love for us. The second greatest truth, I think, in Scripture is the fact that God saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, is the first one. And he only did it because he wanted to and loved you is the second. These are two profound, incredible truths. 1 John reads like this, 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, By this, let me actually read it out of the the Word. It says this, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, was, was brought forth in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So there's a there's a very close parallel there between that verse in John 3.16. But then it says this, in this love. So he says, you want to know what love looks like? Not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which means to appease God and the wrath of God for the sake of our sins. And you want to know what love looks like? Brother Leonard has said it. Everybody that's ever filled this pulpit has said it. You want to know what the love of God looks like? Look in the Word of God. You'll understand what the love of God looks like. Because He didn't have to do it. He laid down His own life. He moved you from fruitless to fruitful, from evil to holy, from not standing to right standing, which is righteousness. He From useful or from useless to useful. He did it all, and He only did it because he wanted to spend eternity with us. Don't let the words, because they seem so familiar to you, get past you. Familiarity is, I haven't said this in a while, but familiarity breeds complacency in us. The weight of the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood should hit us as hard, if not harder, should harder, hit us harder the thousandth time we hear it than it did the first time we heard it. You guys remember the first time that you heard that truth and it rang true with you and you tasted grace and you were convicted and crushed under the weight of it and you recognized that you were a sinful person and that God loved you enough to send His only begotten Son so that you might have eternal life, so He might have that eternal life with you. You guys remember the first time? The more you contemplate that, the bigger it should be in your own spirit. If you were crushed then, you should be as crushed now. Because he died for us and didn't have to. Because he demonstrated his love for us in doing it only because he loved us. Loves us. And because he loves us, according to 1 Peter, which we're actually going to study today, we should love others. There's a story I don't know whether it's true or not, uh, but it was an illustration I read some time ago about a foreman. And this foreman was checking out a construction site. He was the foreman slash owner of this particular construction company. He's up on the third floor of the project they were working on. He tripped and fell from the third floor to the ground. As he tripped and fell, he screamed out. Down on the ground, three floors below him, heard there was a day worker, day laborer that heard the scream, looked up, saw him fall over the ledge, and realized he was standing exactly where that man would fall, but decided not to move, instead tried to catch him. Because of his willingness to stand there and absorb the fall of that man, The foreman received very little damage, was not severely injured, but the day worker had most of the bones in his body broken, ended up in a wheelchair, had months and months of rehabilitation and hospitalization. He suffered for the rest of his life to save one man that he didn't even know. A couple years later, somebody came up to the guy and interviewed him, the day laborer, and asked him, he said, have you, have you heard from the foreman at all? You gave up everything you got, he, you have for him. 
has he at least called and checked on you? And he said, oh, yes. He said, there isn't a week goes by he doesn't call me at least two times a week. I'm never in need of anything. He gave me half of his business so that I could take care of my family. And we talk all the time. Jesus was our guy on the ground. We were falling from the third floor, destined to die. And Jesus stood on the ground and decided to catch up. Gave us everything that he had. The least we can do is be grateful for it. And the greatest way we can be grateful for it, besides loving him, is loving those that he loved. First Peter 2, 1 Peter 2.1.22-25 reads like this. Since you have, an obedient, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Our responsibility is to keep an attitude of gratitude, to never forget the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave so that we might have life and to love each other well enough with a, have that true, as my pastor used to say, have a true attitude of gratitude for that where we demonstrate that love to other people so that they too might know. The ultimate consequence of our love for one another being right is that others will desire what we have. Because we live in a world where people don't love well. We live in a world where Christians don't love well. You know who Peter's talking to? Or Peter's talking to Christians. He's reminding them, let your love be right. And so I tell you, let our love be right. Because it's only through Christ Jesus that we've been enabled to love in the first place. The first part of verse 22 says, Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. What this means is the unconverted person does not have the ability to demonstrate genuine love. My wife and I, she gets fussy when I say this. She's probably not going to like it at all when I say it out loud in front of people. But to make the point, I think it's necessary that the unconverted person doesn't even have the ability to love or to know what it is. I told her when we first got married, when we first got married, I wasn't saved. And I, there's a country song, and I thought I loved you then. But I tell her now, I didn't love you then. I loved you with what I thought was love then. And it, it seems so shallow and unimpressive now as compared to what it is 
now. Because I didn't have the ability to love. None of us have the ability to love without Christ Jesus living in us. Because it's the Spirit that gives us the ability to love. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they lacked love. Luke 11.42 says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue, which was a medicinal plant, and other kind of garden herbs, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You know what he says? He says, your love for God and love for other people should be the simplest foundation of your faith. Christ loved us, we love others. But we're more concerned a lot of times as Christians, and I'm not here to beat you up on a Wednesday, but we're, we're so concerned with our external religion, our external actions, because we want to impress people with who we are. And so we walk around a lot of times like the Pharisees. And we tie tassels to ourselves, And we put phylacteries on our heads. And we use the language. And we do the stuff. And people come in and they walk in this room here. And they, th I hope, pray to God, never this room. But they walk into the church. And it's just as cold in their sanctuary as any place they've ever been. It shouldn't be that way. We should set ourselves aside because Christ set himself aside. Love the people. Don't concern yourself with what they look like, what they have going on. Love the people. One of the greatest compliments my pastor gave me, he gave me while he was here the other day, and he didn't even know he did it. He told about Angela and I, they don't, what did he, what'd he say? We, I can't hear you. We don't have a very pastoral relationship. You know why I thought that was a compliment? Because the relationship we have is the relationship we have with you guys. Because I'd really much rather concern myself less with what you call me than how you know me. Because if you can see that I love you, then maybe you'll be motivated to love someone else. And as you love them, they'll begin to love someone else. You guys have no use for a Pharisee up here teaching y'all. You're all, Pastor Jim says some crazy stuff. When we first got the church started, I, I used to really say some crazy stuff. Like if you were here the first six months, like we so crazy that there was a cross the line sign that the congregation would hold up. Like I would say something crazy from my notes or whatever or just pop into my head, which is what I do, and I'd look up and everybody would have their finger held up in the air. For some reason, this ended up meaning you cross the line. And so I look up and I, I see, I was like, okay, let me read. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. But I want to be transparent with you. I want you to know that someone cares about you, that that's someone less than some someone It's even me, it's Jesus. 
And how can, I, how can I show you the love of God if I'm not willing to reflect the love of God to you? Which means be transparent to you, show you who I am, love you like you deserve to be loved. This is, this is our calling. I'm not tooting my own horn. This is all of our calling. Love should mark the believer. I struggle to say all that stuff because it sounds braggadocious, but at the end of the day, it's true. Love should mark the believer. This is what John says in 1335. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you hear that? You know what they're not going to know you by? You know what they're not going to know you by? Your nice suit. I'm glad you got a nice suit. They're, gonna, they're not going to know you by this beautiful Bible you carry around. They're not going to know you belong to Jesus. They're going to know you belong to a church. They're not going to know you if you know what propitiation means. I had to look that up after I was a pastor. They're going to know you by, their, by your love. For one another. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Brother Leonard thought that was funny, but we use words we don't even know because it makes us sound good. But God tells us that they will know us because of our love. Our love should be so evident, so beautiful, so unbiased that it snatches the world's attention. There are people that I've met through my life, and I know I reference him a lot. And it's not to pick him up or brag about him or make him feel big about himself. But Brother Leonard's love is so evident, so beautiful, so unbiased, that I've never seen him care what you look like, what you smell like, what you act like. It's been my experience that the dirtier, the more addicted you are, the more Leonard, or as he says, Brother Leonard loves you. This should be all of us. This should be all of us. You should mark the believer because Jesus said it. He said, in this I give you a new commandment. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love people, right? But then Jesus said, because Jesus changes everything, plug for Sunday if y'all want to come to Sunday service, because Jesus changes everything, a new commandment I give you. Not that you love your neighbor as yourself, but that you love your neighbor as I have loved you. What? Because that's so much bigger. Because none of us love ourselves like we should. If we loved ourselves like we should, we'd work out. We'd pray more. We'd read our word more. We'd eat better. But Jesus says, don't love you like you love you. Don't love them like you love you. Love them like I love you which means sacrificially from a position of self-motivation. 
with an all-consuming love that has others in mind at all times. Am I talking to anybody in here today? I don't know about you, but this has been my life from time to time. When I'm just worried about me, i got to get me some of whatever it is I'm pursuing. And I say focused, not other-centered, not other people-focused. Jesus was always other people-focused. It said that he came down from heaven and humbled himself, set aside his deity so that he could put this on, crawled upon a cross so that you could have eternal life, so that we could have eternal life. Who have you crawled upon a cross for today? Who have you humbled yourself in front of today? Who have you considered yourself less than? I love you guys have heard me say this before, but Max Lucado said that grace is a God that stoops. How many of you, and that's so beautiful to me, because he stooped down lower than he deserved to pick us up and make us greater than we could have been without him. When was the last time that we had a grace for other people that stooped? Which means we lowered ourselves below them. Because you can't scoop somebody up above them. It's easier to come underneath them and scoop them up. When was the last time we did that? Because that's how Jesus loved. This is how we're supposed to love each other. Phone call, 2 o'clock in the morning, love each other. When it's inconvenient, love each other. Brother Leonard said it during his thing. He didn't mean to. He said it different. He said, I didn't tell you because you weren't listening. Or you couldn't hear my voice. Make room in your schedule. This is an intentional thing. Create margin in your schedule. Because ministry happens in margin. Ministry happens when you have an extra 15 minutes to get where you're going. You guys ever drive past somebody and say, man, I'd help them if I had time. Jesus would have helped him anyway. He'd have made time. You know why? Because he'd have left early. Oh, that's good right there. In salvation, we receive the capacity to love supernaturally. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, which was given to us at salvation. So we didn't have the ability to love right. But the ability was given to us through the pouring in of the Spirit of God in us. And so we should love a thief, but we don't love well. God's love change should change our entire nature. Y'all okay this? I God's love in us should change us. It's our human nature to be unforgiving. It's our human nature to be divisive. It's our human nature to tear down others. You know why God tells us to do stuff in the scripture? Because it's not in our nature to do that. You know what it doesn't say? When you're a baby, cry. Because it's already in your nature to do that. It tells you to do stuff that it's not in your nature to do. And so <coughs> it's in our nature to be unforgiving. So Ephesians gives us an answer for that, a command for that. 
4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I think this is the biggest, this is the biggest obstacle to righteousness that we have. Unforgiveness. I've had people call me and say, Do I need to forgive so and so? Yes. Why do I have to forgive them? They don't deserve it. The Bible didn't say that. You didn't deserve it when God gave you forgiveness. Why would you expect that you des- that they deserve it when you give them forgiveness? Because we're supposed to love them like Christ loved us. That's the new commandment. But you don't know what they did to me. You know what? I bet they didn't nail you to a cross, strip all the skin off your body, bury you in the ground. I bet they didn't do that. Jesus forgave you for that. I didn't do that to him. You sure did. I have to believe that a God that can see all things in all places at all times isn't bound by time saw your faith on the cross because he has to be able to see all things at all times which means he sees you at all times which means when he crawled up on that cross when he was placed on that cross when his hands and feet were nailed to it when he shed his own blood when he gave up his spirit he gave his spirit up for you and he and he did it having already forgiven you we're forcing him to do it. It's not in our nature to forgive. It's in his nature to forgive. But our nature changes as we love as he loved us. It's not a, it's not it's in our human nature to be divisive. But the word of God has a command for that. Philippians 2 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Can I tell you the the greatest amount of my energy my eh, my prayer, my energy in prayer. I don't even know if that's right. A very large percentage, I don't want to lie to you. A very large percentage of my energy is used in praying over the divisiveness in the church. And you know what? I'm not praying for no divisiveness in Emmanuel Church. I'm praying for no divisiveness here. You'd be amazed the people that say they love God but don't love the people sitting next to them in the pew. We got people that go to one service because they don't want to see the people in the other service. God says we shouldn't be that way. It's in unity that the anointing flows. People say, man, I can't catch a break. I can't grow up out of this thing. You know why? Because you're ununified. The anointing, the manifest presence of God is available in unity, not divisiveness. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell where the ocean currents are crazy. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church where the ocean currents are calm. When we're all of one mind, of one spirit, willing to take on the same task, which is to love one another and love God. It's in human nature 
to tear down others. Let no unwholesome, wor unwholesome word, Ephesians 4.29 has an answer for that. Let no unwholesome word go forth out of your mouth, but only good for edification of the need so that it may give grace to those who hear. Talking about transparency, man, I struggle right here. See, do you hear that? Don't let anything come out of your mouth except what is for good and the edifying of others. When's the last time you talked some trash about somebody? When's the last time, instead of praying for Joe Biden, you decided to trash it? When's the last time, instead of praying for Kamala Harris, you decided to trash her? Or on the other side of that coin, you don't like Trump. Maybe you should pray for them instead because there ain't supposed to be any unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth. That's a hard word for me because I'm, I am a staunch biblical conservative. <laughs> you like how I said that? But God gave us a different nature. 1 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And because of that, our love is supposed to be sincere and passionate. The brethren become, the brethren must, let me, let me read this text to you. The second part, verse 22, half at verse 22 says, For a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. It says we should love each other. See, Paul's talking to brothers. We have an obligation to love other people, but Paul's specifically talking about the people in this room. Love the brethren. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 so says, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write, you, write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Everybody look to their left. I'm going to be an old country preacher for a minute. Everybody look to their right. Everybody look behind you. All right, turn around and look at the person in front of you. What's your love really like for them? Do you love them enough that you do for them what Jesus did for you? Because the Bible says that we are to love as Christ loved us. And that that love should continually grow. It's, it's okay that you're not there. Some of y'all, I don't like that much. I'd be all, man, I, I got to sacrifice what? But you know what the Bible says? That love is a fruit of the Spirit. And you know what fruit does? Fruit grows. Fruit multiplies. And you're all, Pastor, I can't get there yet. Put more prayer seed in it. Put more water in it. Spend some time cultivating it. Let me tell you. You're all, I don't like so-and-so. Let me challenge you to do something. Next time you decide you don't like somebody, pray for them. And every time you think about how much you don't like for them, pray for them again. And then you don't like them, pray for them again. Because let me tell you, two things can't exist in the same space. Hate and prayer. 
go, man, I, I pray for so-and-so in Jesus' name. God bless them. And you might say it through clenched teeth, but let me tell you, ultimately it'll become a, a habitual thing for you. And you'll show the goodness of God to the people you don't like instead of, instead of the nature of who you are. Our love for the brethren must be sincere without hypocrisy, according to this, this half of the text. This message is throughout Scripture. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, 1 John 3.11, Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't be hypocritical in your love. You know what that means? Don't look at your brother and say, I love you, man. And then go home, look at your wife and go, I hate that dude. Some of y'all laugh because you've done it. Some of y'all stop looking at me just then because you've done it. Man, I love you, brother. Praise the Lord. You over fried chicken about an hour and a half later, Bill. That dude just, let me tell you, ten reasons why I hate that guy. Don't let your love be hypocritical, but let it be sincere. Let it be a true one another love commanded by Scripture. What does the Bible say? Love one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. This is what non-hypocritical love looks like. Search the one another. And if you're not doing that, but showing the face of love to someone, your love is hypocritical towards your brother. Man, ain't got no time for that. Amen? And then finally, verse 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the, word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Our love is to be consistent with God's love. I'm going to read you something. I don't want you to get past it. 1 John 5, 1 through 2 says, whoever, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everybody okay with that? You say you believe in Jesus, you belong to God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child. I want you to look in your text. Child doesn't mean child of God. That's not capitalized. Whoever loves the child born of him, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. God loves you. And if you want to prove that you love him, you love the child that he died to save. Because when we do that, People are attracted to that love. It's where I started. Because people will be attracted to that love. All this talk of grass and flowers and whatnot is for one purpose. To say this life is fleeting. There's an eternity waiting. And if you don't love one another well, they won't know the God that you know. And the eternity that they will spend will be without God. 
because your unwillingness to do the commands of God. I don't want that on me, man. Do you? So instead, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Because this is the word which was preached to you. Amen?